Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I wake up on a Sunday morning and I think to myself, and you might think, this is not very good job security speech, Mike. But I think to myself, what is this all about? What is the lights? What's the, the band? What's all this getting up, getting dressed on a perfectly good sleep-in day all about? What's it all about every day and you get up and it's time to make the donuts and it's time to go to the job? What's it all about? And I guess right now in my mind and my heart where I am is God is doing a whole lot of work in me asking me that question. What are you all about? Is this all about you? Is it all about me? It's all about your dreams and desires. What's this all about? I can remember still as if it was yesterday, eight years ago, the last week of June when we gathered in a living room and began to pray, began to seek God, began to ask God about what God wanted to do in northwest Arkansas. I love that last song that we sang. That greater days are yet to come in this city. And, and, and in that time in 2001, in June of 2001, it was one of those times when I was thinking, God, there are amazing things that you want to do in this little corner pocket of the world. And can I, do I get to be in on what you're going to do? Do I get to see it, feel it, touch it, smell it, taste it? To be able to be a part of something like that. We were so small and we didn't know if, when, or where anything would happen about us. But I really felt that God was calling us to do something. And to start something that would be more about Him than about me. And more about Him than about you. It would be about Him. The title of this message is Grace Point Church, A Work of God. Because I really want to constantly, as we grow, to decrease. As we expand, subtract. That we will constantly pull back the dross and constantly pull back the layers that we add, that accumulate, that kind of like Velcro attach itself to us as we go through life. And we'll constantly step back and pull back and, and take off some of those layers that we collect through life. That can somehow begin, begin to distort what God started out so beautifully. I don't want to lose that. T.S. Eliot in The Rock said this, he said, and the church must be ever building and always decaying and always being restored. The church is supposed to be always decaying. It's the idea of an organic thing, not an organizational thing. It's the idea of something that is an organism that's going to have life and it's going to reproduce, but it's also going to have some elements that die about it. And one of the things about Grace Point Church is we are not afraid to change. If you're one who's looking for something that's going to be the same every week, please don't look here. 
because you will be sorely disappointed. We embrace change. In fact, I remember in the Grace Point difference that I wrote while we were still living in Africa, I said a statement in there that absolutely was one of my favorite statements is that we embrace change. That means there's going to be some decay. It means some things are going to have to be, as you add, you're going to have to subtract. The, the statement when it says that it's forever building depicts the idea of a creative element, of a constantly renewing, a, a constantly becoming new and being creative and, 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 and vitality. That's what it speaks of. Always being restored is the idea of something spiritual, something supernatural. So a church is always supposed to be decaying, always supposed to be building, always supposed to be being restored. I've seen enough churches in my 20 plus years in the ministry to see that churches are in many ways going the way of dinosaurs. They're going the way of dinosaurs to where eventually our children will go to museums and they will call these relics churches. If you don't believe me, we're only about 50 years behind Western Europe. And go through the, through, the, through the hills and go through the valleys and go through the cities of England and Germany and Switzerland and see the huge cathedrals that once housed thousands of people. I was in Notre Dame, Notre Dame in, 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 in Paris, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. And, and it was amazing to see there were more tourists than there were worshipers. Whenever the church becomes a museum, it's a dinosaur. In America alone, only 17% of Americans attend church regularly. Telephone survey finds that the number of adults reporting that they attend church almost doubled since 1991. In North America, it is the only continent in the world where the church is not growing. Now, Every year, for eight years, this will be the ninth year that I will deliver, because the very first Sunday that we met, I shared this very same message. Because again, I think that we tend to collect things as we go, and we begin, begin to lose focus, and we begin, begin to maybe make things that, that they're not. And I want to come bring us back to the very first message, if I, could, if I could go back and relive it and cram all of us into the living room and share with you what my heart was on day one. And that's why if it's not good for you, it's good for me every year to come back and revisit and say, Mike, are you still on the same track? Have you lost focus? Have you added other things to the picture? One of the statements I said on that very first Sunday, I said, the Lord is about the church planning business. He is about this. This is something that's important to Him. Studies have shown that the single most effective way to reach people in this world is through church planning. It is vitally important to reproduce ourselves into other congregations, gatherings of communities of faith that can know what we know and experience what we experience. But the sad thing is in America, is the third largest unchurched nation in the world, next only to China and India. Doesn't mean there's not churches out there. There's churches on every corner. They're all over the place. You can throw a stone from one church property and hit another church property. That's how close we are together. 
But yet so many are without a relationship with the church. What's the church about, Mike? Why are you talking about the church? Why is it so important? And I ask that question. I am truly, truly going through a lot of introspection right now in my life. Is this all it's about? Is this all it's about? Your Bibles may find the book of Matthew, chapter 16. Each week I try to, because I study for 20 hours on a message, and, and I only get 30 minutes. Jared sings too much. I don't know. You know, I only get 30 minutes to give you 20 hours worth of material. There's no way I can do it. So I've been starting trying to write a blog. And so you can go on. I want you to help answer this question. Why are we here? This week, it's just that's my question. Why? Why? What's all this about? Matthew 16 is where the, the concept of the church was first introduced. Jesus is six months away from his, from his crucifixion, his death. His burial, His resurrection, His ascension is only a few months beyond that. Six months before his, He goes to the cross, He knows it, He can see it, He can smell it, He can taste it. He knows His death is imminent. Six months away, and as He begins to prepare His disciples for His departure, He begins to build into them His exit strategy. He begins to give them the plan for the future because He knows He will not be there. The disciples are still not jiving with that. They're still not hanging on to those thoughts. They're still not believing. They're still going to stand in front of Him and fight to the end and know you're going to be the Messiah. You're going to restore Israel as the great nation and kick out Rome. They're still not getting it. They didn't get it the day of His death. Thomas didn't get it the days after His death. I mean, you just see it all going on. But Jesus knew He's God. He's God. His days are limited. So he gives a plan. And he plans and he introduces a new concept, a new word, a word that's not been used up until now, at least in scriptures. He uses the Greek word ekklesia and he calls it that gathering of people that we in English call the church. He calls, he calls his disciples together. And, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 16. He says, Now Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah. For one of the prophets, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. My Father who is in heaven, but my Father who is in heaven, I say to you that you are Peter. Notice he called him Simon Barjona at first, but now he calls him Peter. Peter is the Greek word Petros. You can even say, hear it in there. It means rock. It says you are a rock, and upon this rock, that confession that he made of who Jesus was. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. What a statement. What a a declaration. Wouldn't you like to have been in, in Peter's shoes on that day? There are three elements that I hope will forever be a part of Grace Point Church even long after I'm gone. 
Here's the first element. Jot it down. Jesus Christ is the foundation on which Grace Point Church is built. I wanted to establish that on day one. I want to reestablish it and reiterate it. The ninth time that I preach this message, the eighth year of our anniversary nearly, I wanted to come and I want to say, listen, we've got to remember where is our foundation? What are we building on here? I'm not a builder. We've got some engineers in this room right now, but they know the value of engineering and what comes first when you're building something. And nobody would dare think about building something. So, oh, we need to go get a civil engineer now and see how well we did. You get the civil engineer first. You get the ground prepared first before you ever do anything to build on. And most of what we don't see about this building may be the most important thing about this building. And what we may not every day see, smell, touch, taste in our life may be the most important thing about our life. I will say it is the most important thing. The most important thing about this church, this ecclesia, this called out body of believers is not necessarily what you can see. It's not me. Listen, I am, I am easily replaceable. I resign. You'll have 50 resumes in a week. Easily replaceable. It's not me. Jesus Christ is the foundation on which this church is built. When Peter was with, or when Jesus was with his disciples, he said in verse 13 there, he said, he said, people were asking, Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he said, who do people say is the Son of Man is? What's the popular opinion out there about me? What are people saying about me? How are people digesting me? If you ask the various religions of our land and of our world, You'd ask a Hindu who Jesus is. They'll tell you that Jesus was a, was a, was a Jewish young boy who traveled to, to Asia and he did, was trained in yogic meditations and he became a guru to the Jews. He was a first century Gandhi of sorts. They just would just lump Jesus in with their 300,000 other deities that they might follow in and worship. Buddhist, Buddhists, who are they? They believe that Jesus is the brother. Jesus and Buddha were brothers. And basically, Jesus understood universal love. Buddha understood universal love. And if we'll just love one another, we can all become little Buddhas in our life. And Zen Buddhism is one of the fastest growing religions in our culture today. Jews, who the Jews say they are. You read, pick up a Jewish history textbook. It says the history of Jesus, is the Toledoth Yesu. It says that Jesus was the, the bastard child of a seduced Mary who had ma- magical powers and was a sorcerer. You ask a Muslim who Jesus is, Islam will tell you that he's one of the prophets. He's not a god. He's not the god. He's not a god. He's a prophet, period. Is that all he is? Jehovah's Witness, you ask them, they'll say that he was formerly the archangel Michael. He came to earth simply as a man. He had some kind of divine powers or strengths about him, but he was not divine. He died a martyr's death and never rose again. You ask a Mormon who Jesus Christ is. They'll tell you that Jesus Christ was, was, uh, was born to Mary when God came down and had relationships with Mary in the night. And that... Jesus was born out of that and He had ultimately achieved Godhood, so can you achieve Godhood. And we are merely living on the planet of Jesus and you'll have your planet whenever you die. Postmodernism, you can just it's a blank check. Write your own. 
There's no laws or limits or anything. The sad part is is that there's another belief in who Jesus is, and that's what I call notional Christians. They believe in Christian faith, but they don't practice it. They're just token wearers. They'll wear a cross. They'll, they'll say a Hail Mary. They'll, they'll do something like that. Only 44% of those who acknowledge Christ, or 44% of those who acknowledge Christ are notional Christians. And the thing is, is all these religions right here are represented in northwest Arkansas. I was sitting at Starbucks the other day. Interesting thing. Sitting at Starbucks in Rogers, Arkansas, and to my right are a group of, uh, of Chinese-speaking Mandarin, as best I could figure out, and they're sitting in their little group. An Asian Indian, which is a, uh, a group, was sitting right over here. And some Latinos came in. I was the only one who spoke English as their primary language right there at Starbucks. At that moment, in that time, listen, uh, Northwest Arkansas is changing. And we've got to understand that there's all kinds of beliefs that are out there. So who do people say that Jesus is? He's all kinds of things. It just depends on who you are and what you want to believe. Jesus doesn't end there. Skip down to verse 15 because he said after all of this, because some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah and all that kind of stuff, but then he kind of gets real personal. He says, who do you say I am? He's very macro, then he goes very micro. And he says, who do you say I am? Who is Jesus Christ to Mike McDaniel? Ask yourself that question, please. Because that is the foundation on which everything is going to be built. Who is Jesus Christ to you? That is going to be absolutely fundamental to it all. And I would say as a church, and I, and I, and I say this on day one, I say it again today, that we as a church have got to help this world, confused world in which we live, we've got to help this world understand who Jesus is and that He is a foundation on which we build our life. Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, you didn't figure this out on your own. The Father told you this. He was affirming His deity. Some will tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. He affirms His deity. I am God and you know it. You didn't know it and figure it out on your own. You figured this out because God spoke that truth into your life. You know what I want to be? I want to be a church that without a doubt communicates to our culture and to our world and to northwest Arkansas who Jesus is. Let's not be ambiguous about this. How do, you, how do you communicate to who Jesus is without just taking your big Bible and thumping Him over the head and just arguing with Him? How can we practically, really, how can we show who Jesus is to this world? Here's some ways. Jot them down real quickly. We can show Jesus Christ enthusiastically. We do that through worship. You know, I was enjoying today just being in the worship moment as we were singing. And that's just one part of worship. But man, whenever we're all lifting up our voices and we have a friend or a family or members or, or people who've never been to church and or we invite them and they come and they just see people enthralled in God, raising their hands, clapping, bowing their heads if it's time for that, enthusiastically worshiping Him not on the sideline critiquing the worship. A.W. Tozer said it like this, real worship is among other things the feeling that the Lord our, uh, the feeling about the Lord our God. It is in our hearts and we must be willing to express it. 
How expressive are you in your worship? We must show Him enthusiastically. We must show Him practically through ministry. 91% of those who are non-Christians in this world will tell you that they do not believe the church cares about their real needs and their felt needs in life. They don't care about their needs. Back in February, after this period of, of layoffs and the poor economy, and then Walmart drops the bomb and however many people are laid off and all oh, my lands. And I'm on sabbatical at this time trying to work on my doctorate. And I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning this morning in February. I can't remember the exact day, but I wake up and I think it was a Tuesday. And I'm thinking, the first words in my mind is, we have got to do something. We can't wait for stimulus money. We can't wait for a bailout. We, the church, have got to do something. And so at that moment, I couldn't go back to sleep. I immediately got up. I started writing as many people in the church that I knew that Mike could come to a round table and began to think and brainstorm about how we could bring hope to Northwest Arkansas, how we could revive what was, what was seemingly a very discouraging cloud over us. Are we going to have all the answers? Absolutely not. Are we going to become job service 101? No. But if we can just somehow begin to channel and network and bring people together and help people out and bring hope and keep hope alive, then that's awesome. Then we have shown Jesus Christ off in a practical way. Thus, Hope NWA was born. We've got to show this world lovingly who Jesus is. We do this through fellowship. I encourage everybody. we got the three-minute rule. Sometimes we forget it. I know it. But every service, three, take the first three minutes when the service is dismissed to find somebody you don't know and meet them and greet them and share the love of Christ with them. Three-minute rule. Just three minutes. Listen, you don't like them? You only got three minutes and you can start the watch. All right? And then you can walk away. They want to know your phone number? Give them a fake phone number if you don't like them. But no, I'm kidding. Love them. Express love to them. Get to know them. We're going to have a thing tonight, fellowship time together. I'm excited about that. We have body life groups all about fellowship, all about opportunities to connect and to find those loving relationships that you can't sometimes find in the world or can't always trust out there because you don't know how people are going to manipulate you and work you or what their angle is. Relevantly, we need to show Jesus off relevantly. We do this through evangelism. We do this through outreach. We show this to people that say, hey, listen, Jesus Christ can bring hope to your life. He can take away those scars. He can, he can fix those wounds. He can, he can fix the pain. He can take that dirt out of our life. He's very relevant for our day. We need to show Jesus off biblically. We do this through discipleship. All these are the five major tasks of our church. And we've got to help people really connect the dots in life. Howard Hendricks, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, asked 2,800 Dallas business leaders, Christian Dallas business leaders, asked them, was there any connection between the message that they heard on Sunday and their life on Monday? And in the survey that he found of 2,800 business leaders, 82% of them said there was no connection. Listen, I want to help people connect life and faith so they can build a foundation they can live on. Jesus Christ is the foundation of our church. That will be the foundation of our life. Secondly, Jesus Christ is the foreman through whom Jesus, uh, Grace Point Church is built. And the thing is about, about building a church, He's the foreman, He's the foundation. 
we, we build a church not one brick at a time, but one person at a time. That's why we can't do what happened to us a few months ago just before Easter when we literally had to tell some parents there's no room for your children in the preschool department. It's full up. Why do we have three services now? It's not because we like three services. I'll promise you by the third service, I don't like three services. We do it because I can't say there's no room for you in our church. I can't say there's no room for your children in our preschool. We have to make room for that. We have to figure something out. Look what he said in in chapter 16. He said, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, verse 18, I also say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. I am going to do something through you, Peter. I am going to build something on you, Peter. And what you believe and what you... I'm going to do it and I'm going to use you, Peter. And you know the stories of Peter. How many times does he stick his foot in his mouth? How many times in one day does he deny him? Three times in one day. Why would God choose a loser like that? Because God is real good, as I said last week, about taking crackpots and using them. He can use us if we are available. And God is going to end up building a tremendous church and movement. The thing is, is that I thought He said Jesus was going to build His church, and He does say that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, we do have a role in this. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, it says, I laid a foundation as the expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Hold it here. Jesus building or am I building? Paul's saying he's building. Jesus is saying I'm building. See, the issue is, is Jesus is the foreman. But you and I are the builders. He, 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 he's the one who's calling the shots. He's the one who says, this is the way things ought to go. This is what you're going to teach. This is what you're going to believe. This is where you're going to go. This is how... But He's going to give us the challenge and the charge and the ability to help bring people's lives together, complete and whole. See, the, the, the church, and this is the problem about being in a building today, the problem about being in this facility, and I love it, and it's a great tool for us, and we're able to do so much more with it, and on and on and on, but the church is not this building. We don't go to church we got to somehow take that out of our language. We don't go to church. We are the church. We don't go to worship. We bring our worship. We come here, and as we come here, we're able to grow and challenge and help one another out. We have a purpose statement around here. Everybody has one, but I really hope it's true of us. We have a great commitment to the great commandment, the great commission, to build a great church for our great God. Say that with me. We have a great commitment. A great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. He's the foreman, we're the builder. What does that look like? Is it just building buildings and then building another building and building a building bigger than the first two buildings that you built? What about building buildings? Rick Warren said it well. He said, build your people before you build your steeple. I want you to watch a video and just give you just a glimpse of a story of a family in our church of how what we want to do is we want to build people. We'll build buildings, but we want to build people first.
initially my sister was going to Graceport Church and um, she had invited me to come and at that time you guys were at the high school and I came a few times and then there was an interim of about, I don't know, a year that I didn't go and I noticed that you guys had built the building on the side of the highway and then I would ask TJ to attend church with me. It was kind of an ongoing thing. Every single Sunday I'd ask, he'd say no. And I'd go, and I would, you know, I had, you know, it wasn't something that I wanted to harass him into doing. I wanted him to willingly go without me pressuring him into going. Um, I came to church one time. I believe it had to be some kind of holiday, maybe. I think maybe it was Mother's Day, but um, I myself always uh, had something better to do at that time. For me, alcohol was my best friend. I, uh, I had a daily relationship with alcohol, and... Um, you know, that was my excuse a lot of the time for everything in my life. Um, can't count on both hands the days that I didn't drink, basically from the time I got home from work until the time I went to bed. You know, TJ, when he was drinking or drunk, was not the TJ that I fell in love with. It was a totally different person. It affected my relationship with uh, Rachel. It affected my relationship with the kids. Um, instead of being a part of the family unit, I was always sitting in the garage and doing something on my own um, because I, I didn't have anybody to drink with inside. And like I said, alcohol was my best friend. So we had separated back in, I don't know, probably July of last year. You know, we needed to separate, and I needed to work on my problems, and he needed to work on his problems. Well, after living... Uh, you know, on my own and, you know, continuously drinking every night, I, um, something happened to me one night. I dro went to drop the kids off one, one evening so that I can have a break because I was a, <laughs> a single mom of three kids and, um, he noticed that I didn't have my ring on. I saw her without the, her wedding ring on and it was at that moment that I knew I'd lost everything and I knew that the main source of that was alcohol was drinking on a daily basis and it was at that point that I knew I needed to give my life to Christ. I just, I got down on my knees, set my, set my drink down that night and just asked the Lord to come into my heart and help me quit my alcohol problem and help me become one with Him. It all changed at that moment. I looked at that life just appeared to me so much different. I looked at things a little differently. I uh, looked at my relationship in a different way, my perspective, my kids in a different way. He showed me how to live without alcohol. Whenever he called me and told me that he had experienced that and that he was just in awe, he said, Rachel, you were right. It's just, it was amazing. It was like TJ did like a complete 180. I mean, it, so completely different than the TJ that I had always dealt with, that I knew that something had happened. I started to go to church every Sunday. Um, I started to pray and have a daily relationship with God. That has, that's been really what has done it, is you know having that daily relationship with God. Um, started uh, changing the crowd that I hung around and. Um, made my main focus, you know, on my family and, um, you know, starting that foundation of God in our household. 
in our family. And you know, since then, you know, this is you know, it's been the happiest you know time of my life. I feel like okay. July 12th, I'm gonna be baptized. Um, I want to get baptized to show God that I am committed to His plan and committed to following Him and bringing Him into my household and being a you know, having him guide my family and guide me. And, you know, I know that Satan is always there to tempt me, to tempt me to drink alcohol. Um, it's a everyday, it's just, it's an everyday struggle. I think about it every day. You know, thankfully I have God on my side and he's more powerful than Satan. Isn't that awesome? To see how a family can go through that. And he's been sober since April. I mean, that doesn't happen on its own. It happens because Christ becomes that foundation. And then you start building your life based on him being the foreman, not yourself, him being the foreman of your life. And that's what a church is supposed to be about, is helping people do that. The third element, and I'm finished. Jesus Christ is the future to whom Grace Point Church is building. Not only do I want to have new life today and transformation today, but I want to have direction and future. And in verse 19, it, it, it tells us this. He said, And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. See, when someone gives you the keys to something, they're giving you authority. They're giving you accessibility. There's also accountability that comes with that. But he's literally holding us out access to his kingdom. He says, whatever you save here will be saved there. Whatever you redeem here will be redeemed there. The only thing that I know from Scripture that can be redeemed is people. And saved is people. So he's given us something here. He's given us a future and a direction. And if all of our life, if we are not busy about that, we're missing it. He's equipped us with His Word. He's empowered us with His Spirit. He's enriched us with the church. It's our job now to enlarge His kingdom. It's given us that. That access, that, that level of access. The problem is, I'm afraid, some people are turned off by our Christianity. Some people are just turned off by it. By our church, they're turned off by it. Why? Don't, I want to be a church that they turned off by. Now, if they're offended when truth enters their life and encounters their life, I'm sorry. I, I can love you in grace and truth and mercy, but, but truth is truth and I have to go with truth, okay? Philip Yancey, I love his writing. He said, many, far too many, abandon the quest for, for Jesus entirely, repelled by the church. They never make it to Jesus. Repelled by the church, they never make it to Jesus. I want to close just by telling you about Marlene Deneen. How, and I've told this story last year as well. How in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, on April uh, April 26th, a few years back, two years after a school shooting at the at the high school dance, she shows up at church. Marilyn doesn't go to church. Marilyn has never been to church. But somehow this day she was going to church. When the gunman came into the school, he was a 14-year-old who had a nickname of Satan. Not exactly the most flattering nickname that you can give someone. But when he comes in and he shoots the teacher, 
John Gillette and he shoots some other students and, and then before he's taken down, Marilyn walks into the door of the church and is greeted by somebody in their hugs ministry and welcomes them and so forth. And all she could say to this person, this complete stranger, says, I don't usually come, says, but today I needed something. I needed to be with people who believed in something. And I'm dead on convinced that no matter how polished and shined and fit and trim or whatever it may be in this world, there are a lot of people who need to be with somebody who really believes in something they can build their life on, that can give them direction as a foreman in their life on how to build, and that will give them a future, give them a purpose for living, that will tell them, if you will now go help other people come to know me, you are doing the right thing. 